Thank you. 
That was Gabrielle Griffiths with Anyone's Guess is as Good as Mine Now. And now for my interview with Jody Colella. Hi, Jody. Nice to meet you. Welcome to the Mr. Bear's Violet Hour. I almost forgot the name of my show. <laughs> well, welcome. Uh, hello to you, Mr. Bear. Nice to meet you as well. Ah, um, so, uh, Jody, you're a fiber artist. Is that, is that, do I have my information correct? Yeah, I'd like, uh, I'm a fiber artist. I'm a fiber sculptor. Ooh, fiber sculptor. Yeah, uh, I'm part of Boston Sculptors Gallery, and we're all a collection of uh, 3D um, object creators. And I like to think of my sculpture as something that uses soft materials. I'm a soft material. Yes, you are. Uh, I I have to say I did um I did a little research online and I saw that you're teaching a class at Snow Farm, which is a favorite of mine, uh, called Soft Sculpture. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that class? Oh yes, this is um this is a class that I've only taught a handful of times, and it's one of my favorites. Um, it's we use um the soft materials and little soft people and we repurpose them into probably their alter egos or their other personalities and um, it's a great device to teach all sorts of fiber arts techniques so while responding to our uh, stuffed animals we will learn to embroider and to sew and to needle felt and do all other sorts of surface embellishment. And in the end, we have like a whole new personality. It sounds fascinating, but I have to say, when I read the description, being uh, being a stuffed bear, uh, your, your, your description of your class starts with, begin by deconstructing stuffed toys. <laughs> I, I found this a little alarming. I have to say, when you just asked me about that class, I was like, oh boy. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean, I guess you probably didn't expect a teddy bear to be asking you about that class. <laughs> and boy, and now I understand how I must must really give this a little bit more thought. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm in, I'm intrigued by it. I guess um, where where do you acquire these stuffed animals, and are they are they volunteering for it? I guess is my question. Well, um, they're usually donated by individuals who um, are in favor of creating a new life for them. Okay, so we'll, we'll look at this as a, as a positive uh, chance for transformation. Well, and also just so that you also understand, we not only will be using, uh, starting with stuffed animals to transform, we're going to make soft sculptures with raw materials too. Oh, so, so you're so you're gonna give birth to stuffed animals. Exactly. Okay. So I guess I guess you know life and death, right? That's that's part well, of. Well, another way to think about it is that these new forms become objects that people will project their feelings onto, which is usually love and affection and you know other things that they're trying to honor. So that's that's positive too. Yeah, or I like to think of stuffed animals um, and soft sculptures as as having their own personalities that they project onto the people. Well, that's true too. You're absolutely right. 
Yes, it could it could work both ways, I guess. It, uh, well, we could think of it as a quest for the, both the stuffed animal and the artist to find each other. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I like that. Uh, because it, it sounded very destructive, but I guess uh, destruction is part of creation. Yeah, unfortunately, it can be. <laughs> but it, it's not really unfortunate. But yes, you're right. It's part of the process. Yeah. Uh, can you talk a little bit about uh, your your background and your um, you know how how you how you got to where you are? Sure. I have been a um, a maker and a craftsperson my whole life. I mean, I just don't have a memory of not doing it. And I came from a family that um, was the same way, primarily knitters. And we would spend our summers on the beach. And every family would teach their kids how to knit. And we had plastic bread bags and pencils as knitting needles. And we would just swim all day and then sit in the hot stones and knit all afternoon. It was great. Um, so I carried that with me through college and um, always, I mean, studying for exams. I would always be crocheting something just to uh, sort of calm my nerves. And then um, other craft processes always fascinated me, so I was always learning something new. And um, I graduated with a degree in biology. I wanted to go to art school, but it just didn't work out for a lot of reasons. And then I eventually went back to school and became a graphic designer and did that for a few years. Then I retired from that and decided um, to get back to my art life. And I did painting and printmaking and went back to school and did a few other processes, had a painting show, and afterwards was so exhausted, decided to treat myself with, let's just play with fiber for a while, take a break. And that's when I discovered that it, that fiber was my medium for expression. And that was in 2004. And I have just been playing with it ever since as an art medium. Wonderful. That, that's quite a journey there. You really covered a lot of bases. <laughs> uh, uh, but then you, you found your love. Yep. Yep. And, and that's my love, playing with material, creating sculpture, and sharing it with others in the fiber art community. It's a very special community. Yeah, can you talk about Fiber Lab? Yeah, um, Fiber Lab is a um, sort of independent study group, and I founded it in 2015. I was teaching a lot of, I have been and still am teaching a lot of different workshops, usually um, technique based on many different subjects. And what would happen is I, I would have students continually ask me, um, if there was a way they could learn from me about my process, because they really loved the way I approached things. And though the technique-based classes were wonderful, they wanted something bigger than that. So I created Fiber Lab as a place where individuals could come to my studio, use my space, use my materials. I would introduce them to a new technique each time. And what this, by taking away 
the expense of buying materials for something you're not sure you're going that's going to resonate for you and um, being with others to get over the fear of making because it's not so precious it's really just about play that freed up so many people that um, it, it's very popular now and we have a, a very big following and it's been so rewarding for me because you know, I um, oftentimes will be playing in the lab on with a technique that I may never have tried out before, but someone has requested it. I'll do research, I'll buy the materials, and then we all experiment together. And it's, I learned so much from it. And um, it's fascinating to watch um, everybody's different perspective. And, and, and then we have these, um, sharing sessions where we have and that that has actually become a favorite part for people and we spend at the beginning of each meeting time looking at work that we have created since the previous meeting and we share our process we're, we're asking for critiques um, we share our resources and um, people have really bonded over this it has become a very tight group that sounds fantastic. Uh, show and tell and art camp for adults all together. Yes, yes. Oh, we, oh. Everybody's a very serious artist. That's, so, that sounds know, of, amazing. All, yeah, of all levels. Um, some people who are very new to it and other people who are very um, experienced and everything in between. Sounds like a great community. And uh, I know you've recently moved it online. Yes, we just launched Fiber Lab on Patreon. And what my motivation is there is that uh, during the past year with the pandemic, I've been doing a lot of online teaching and meeting many interesting people from far and wide throughout the United States, in the UK. And um, I wanted to maintain those relationships that otherwise wouldn't happen if I kept Fiber Lab a local endeavor. Um, so how can people be a part of it? Um, if you um, search Jody Colella's Fiber Lab on Patreon, you'll see my page and there are many tiers of participation. So you can start out small, just to meet the community and see all the wonderful stuff that is going on in our private chat room. Uh, or you could be a master of play and get free workshops every month, or you could uh, be a VIP imaginator and participate in our sharing groups. And I also offer one-on-one -on -one consultation in the highest tier. That is so cool. Can you talk about some of your favorite techniques? Um, yes. I mean, it was when I was launching this, I made a huge list so I would have an inventory to, you know, tap into, you know, some days you're a little bit foggier than others. And I realized how many there are, but the current one that's up on Patreon is called, um, it's, it's how to make vessels using a collapsible form to, as, a, as a mold. And in this particular tutorial, we're using rice so that when we're complete, when we're through creating a vessel around the mold, you can cut the bag, release the rice, and you have a self-standing um, hand-stitched woven vessel. Wow. And, 
it's a great platform for experimenting with material and stitch. And when you see the conversations that are whizzing by on Discord, that's our chat room, everybody is really bringing, the, bringing it to their own. We see people using, you know, uh, the plastic net fruit bags and incorporating that into their vessel. Some are going large, some are going small. You have wire. And as many times as I have taught this, I've never seen anybody, any, I've never seen it done the same way twice. It's really a great way for individual inspirations to come across. Nice. Do you have a favorite technique for your own work? Or do you go through, you know, obsessive phases where, you know, yeah, something well, is currently, what's currently your favorite technique for your own work? Well, currently, um, I am obsessing over all kinds of weaving. Tapestry weaving, pin loom weaving. I have a four harness and an eight harness loom. And um, I teach a lot of weaving where you don't need to have these tools that we can use things from around the house with some very um, evocative materials and, and come up with some really great products. But the recent obsession is bobbin lace, which is a form of weaving using bobbins and lace um, to create some of the more traditional um, torsion or Bedfordshire lace and things like that. that sounds complicated. You know, it, it is and it isn't. Um, it's complicated learning the language, but, and, um, you know, it's complicated just to understand. They write patterns in a very cryptic way. So you have to learn a language to be able to understand what they want you to do. But it's basically two steps. It's either a cross or a twist. It's very binary and all the varieties of lace that you see out there are based on a cross or a twist. It's fascinating. That is fascinating. There's so much you can do with so little. I know. I know. I I love how you said you, you learned to knit on the beach with pencils. And when you said plastic bread bags, were you knitting the plastic bread bags? Um, or no. that, was holding, that was holding your pencils and yarn? Those were our knitting bags. Yeah. It, yeah. Wonder Breads. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it was oh, I, I am. <laughs> so we all had Wonder Bread bags for our knitting bags and pencils for knitting needles. I, I love that. I never thought of knitting with pencils. I know. It's great, isn't it? Yeah. I, mean, you could I just... think it's about a size seven needle, I'm not, if I remember correctly. Something like that. Oh, that's my, my paws are itching to try that. <laughs> What's. What's your earliest memory of a textile? A textile in... Anything, that, cloth, a fiber, any... What's your earliest cloth-related memory that has some meaning? Or not, doesn't have to have meaning, just, you know, if you remember being a baby in a carriage, I don't know. Well, I don't know if this qualifies. Well, mm, uh, first, it's tough for me to thing but I do have a lot of memories of certain materials around me when I was little I was infatuated with a pair of bronze metallic Mary Janes that I had when I was about five and um, 
I also had a big fur hat with pom-poms. Loved that. And, oh, I think maybe my mittens. When I was really young. I think that would be a, an early memory. Hand mm. mittens. Hand nice. knit mittens. Say that five times. Hand knit mittens, hand knit mittens, hand knit mittens, hand knit mittens, hand knit mittens. Okay, you can do it. I can't. <laughs> Um, what, what's your creative practice like? Do you have a daily routine, a schedule? Well, I'm always doing something. Like, um, I'm all, I intersperse by day. A reward for me to get through some of the admin or administration sorts of tasks that are required when, you know, you're doing something for a living. Um, is to give myself a half an hour to play. And um, so if I have a day where I'm not able to go to the studio and dedicate it to play all day, I will work for a couple of hours in the morning and then I'll figure out a bobbin lace motif. And so I do that sort of interspersed with my um, schedule all day, every day. Do you set alarms or do you just kind of do a task, finish it, move on? I should set alarms. <laughs> there's, no, there's no should. I'm just always curious about how people oh, spend no, no. their time. I say that because oftentimes I get so lost into it. I will have spent two or three times the amount of time that I should have spent on it. You know what I'm saying? I do. Yeah. I, f I fall into that hole myself. <laughs> yes, that's what it is. Falling into the rabbit hole. And um, yeah, so I, and I'm constantly reading and I'm constantly researching and uh, I teach a lot. So every day I'm working on something for a workshop for somebody, bringing it along and writing notes and taking, uh, you know, looking up resources. So it's I'm, my whole day is just integrated with it. That sounds pretty fantastic. I know I am very happy about that okay top five tools or equipment that you could not live without oh well i mean obviously you could live without them but that you would not want to live without um i have so many i don't know if i could choose five i know it's a tough question isn't it well i have to um I, i'd have to have one of my tapestry looms couldn't live without that. And I'd have to have my, just because of my current uh, obsession, I have to have my bobbin lace pillow in bobbins. Um, oh, I can't be without fiber of all kinds. Like I have a fishbowl full of little skeins of interesting things. Um, and needles. I think I, I couldn't live without a needle for the embroidery and other things. Yeah, needle, needles are very handy. Yeah. Um, hmm. This is a tough one, boy. Oh, no. It's more, a, it's more just what pops into your mind first, and then later you'll think of all the things that you would have rather have said. <laughs> That's how it works. Yes, it is. Okay, so top top five fabrics. 
well, this lace, velvet, wool, silk. And believe it or not, polyester. Well, that that surprised me. I know. And you'll find out why soon. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) I am. I'm partial to corduroy. Corduroy. Yes. I love the way corduroy feels. And the ridges. it's It's kind of like a washboard. Yeah. A soft washboard. That's right. That makes sound. Do you have a a favorite piece of yours that you've made? Um, I have this very large installation type sculpture created with 3,600 poppies that is meant to serve as a memorial for those who have um, died due to the opioid epidemic. And it's called Once Was, and it was part of an exhibit at Full Craft called Human Impact. Wow. That's uh, a favorite. Yeah. 3,600 poppies? Yes, each poppy represents 200 individuals. Wow. And the poppies were created from clothing that was donated to me. That sounds beautiful. It is. It's, it's beautiful, and there's a little darkness to it as well. It, and it it's meant to be a memorial and viscerally communicates the magnitude of the loss. It's five feet wide, 12 feet tall, two sides. So when you're in the presence of it, it's very overwhelming. Wow. Yeah, I mean, uh, fiber carries so many stories and so much meaning. Um, can Can you talk about, can you talk about how that, uh, plays into your work? Yes. I mean, much of my work, I will repurpose old clothing. And usually the clothing, not usually, the clothing, I said usually because sometimes it's donated by someone who I know personally, and sometimes it's donated by a stranger. So the clothing that's donated by someone I know personally has meaning, of course, that's imbued by our relationship and my knowledge of who they are. And then the ones, the clothing that's donated by um, strangers gives me clues. It will be of a particular period, pattern. You you will get hints of gender or um, socioeconomic status or, um, you know, um, style and identity uh, and, you know, history and all of that is something that acts as a muse and resonates in in, to become a particular fabric for a particular expression nice so do you what's your stash like of your your fabric (laughs) stash does it fit in a room um if i have a, a an almost 800 square foot studio that all the walls are lined with big buckets of very well organized fabric of all kinds. Dream and, home, dream home. <laughs> uh, oftentimes, it's uh, it feels 
much to um, manage, but, and I spend, I, I periodically go through it and pass on to the next fiber artist if I realize it's not something I will use, but I keep a lot of it because I know I will use it and I do. Yeah, you know, sa saving and uh, just you never know when you might find a need for something. Yeah, if something still speaks to you, and maybe it just hasn't found its particular voice yet, but you know it's trying to speak to you, you can't let it go. Yeah, yep. And then, you know, and sometimes if you just don't have space for things, then, then you need to find a home for something. Exactly. Yeah, I think, you know, not... Not just trashing things, but um, you know, finding finding a home. The gift economy is the way to go. So I gift it to another fiber artist. Uh, many of my materials, most of them, are donated to me, and so I just keep the circle going. I like that. Yeah, I just gotta keep keep it moving. Keep it moving. <laughs> what did you want to be when you grew up? When you were little. Um, I wanted to be, I thought at one point I wanted to be a doctor. And then I wanted to be an artist. But I didn't really understand what that was. So then I went back to being, um, I, I majored and graduated with a degree in biology. So I went back into the sciences. So that's, yeah, I wanted, I wanted to be, so, however, I, I always knew I wanted to be someone who created. Yeah, I like that you have a background in art and science, because I think those are so much more related than a lot of people think. They are. They're, I am fascinated by systems of things. One of, my major in biology was cell biology. So um, understanding the mechanisms of how life works on that molecular level is such a metaphor for everything that we do. Sure. Um, I know you also are big on, uh, as you call play, uh, experimenting and making samples. Can, can you talk more about that and, and, and why it's so important? Oh, yes. Or what you love um, about it? I feel that as artists and as and oftentimes, well, as artists um, um, who are following a particular doctrine, like let's say they become painters, they could have gone to school or not, and, and they follow other artists and they follow movements and they become very well educated. Sometimes that can be very stifling. And for me, um, I'm not art educated. I mean, I've taken my share of classes and I've been in the art world, but I had did not have formal education. And I believe that has enhanced my ability to just um, be fearless in putting together anything and not worrying about the final outcome. And then when I hit on something that works for me, being able to recognize it and um, save it for that perfect application when I'm creating a sculpture or an installation or a wall hanging or something. Nice. 
in play by play um i mean like what's happening for me right now in bob and rice is i'm learning to construct i'm learning the rules so that i understand the mechanisms and already i've started deconstructing and doing it my own way and that's where the beauty and serendipity and expression happens in art i believe yes and then how what do you think is your next uh how like how long do you usually spend on a on a phase if you wanted to call or obsession you know at what at what point do you do you move on to uh you know not not that you wouldn't ever do it again but where you move on to the next thing that grabs your interest is there a, a general timeline for that um so often i feel like if i have exhausted it to the i love figuring things out um i think maybe that's part of the bob and lace craze right now because it's a little bit of the peach and a little bit of the pit it's like both um and if i get to the point where i feel like it's figured out um it's not it, it unless i um want i i want to use it as uh part of an expression that i'm building i'm on to the next thing but one of the privileges of teaching is that you are constantly um either learning new things or improving what you know and reworking so that you can provide new content for your students and because i teach such a wide variety of techniques i'm constantly revolving through them annually uh, so even can, though i may have can you just can you list off uh, a little a little list of, of some of those techniques i know you have quite an impressive list well like needle felting um uh echo printing dye echo dyeing natural dyeing bookmaking sculptural crochet knitting with wire um weaving all kinds and um you know pin loom and harness and tapestry and rigid heddle and ankle um bobbin laces a weave now i'm learning about passamentary which is an ancient craft of doing those very fancy trims that you see on drapes and things um uh what else? making vessels of all kinds coiling embroidery all sorts of embroidery um so with all these different techniques and all these different interests how do you how do you know which one to choose how do you decide where to start on on any given day or project um you know sometimes there's a lot of stress <laughs> because you want to do about five things at the same time right and yeah and um i uh and and if something's not fresh in your mind like perhaps i don't get to i keep bringing up bob and lace because that's the current fad but um if i don't get to it for about a week it's not forward in my brain i'll go to the thing that is forward in my brain and that could be embroidery or weaving or dyeing and and i'm very conscious of if i want to make sure i complete something before i change the order in my brain i i 
will not change the order until I know I'm at a point where I can leave it. Hmm. So you do. So you. So you have a, a sort of system. I guess. Yeah. 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 I I find that choosing can can be um, uh, one of the hardest parts of where where to start, what to start with. Yes, definitely. Um, and if you um, I'm speaking of choosing, when when you have a dry spell, let's say, which is a very normal, or um, uh, it, it, I hate to use the word normal, but it's a very real part of the art process. You can't be producing gung-ho all the time. It just doesn't sustain itself. You need time to, you know, be in the, have your brain be in the background processing for a while. But when you have those dry spells, what is the best thing is just pick up what's in front of you and start playing without thinking. If it's a piece of fabric, start stitching it or cutting it or painting on it or whatever. Um, and sometimes I'll look, I'll just stare at my bookcase because I have so many wonderful books and I'll just read all the titles and then my eye will rest on one and I'll pull it out and I'll start investigating it and we'll go in that direction for a while. Oh, I like that technique. And um, how do you know when a piece is done? How do you decide? Is, is a piece ever done? You know, isn't that funny? I, I'm not sure, to be honest. Um, there have been many times that I uh, think I probably have overdone some things. Um, but oftentimes if I feel like it, but there are also other times where I feel like I could continue working on something. And knowing, I get asked this all the time, and I don't have a magic answer for that. The way I handle it personally is to put it aside and start the next one. And then by doing the second one, you're making different decisions that inform something from the first one. Like, oh, perhaps I'll try this on that. Or then you can try a third. And you just, I want to try this, but I don't want to uh, go down a path that I, uh, I cannot undo. So I'm going to try a third and try that third technique on this third one. And then realize, oh, maybe I'll go back to the first. So it's it's a relationships game. It's I, you know, people talk about doing studies and how important that is, and that that this is that process to 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 uh, um, encourage yourself to if you're working on an idea to create ten of them. The first five will flow out of you like nothing, and those final four or five will require some real pushing and that's where the innovation comes from often nice um do you so you do go back then and work on pieces oh, that you might have thought were done yeah i do yeah sometimes i deconstruct them and make them into something else even back to that deconstruction <laughs> Oh, uh, this has been great, Jody. but I don't think I'm going near your studio. <laughs> Not unless you have all the scissors and needles put away. Oh, 
Miss Well, you will be, a, I'll have the red carpet out for you. So don't worry. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, well, this has been really fantastic. Is, is there, is there anything uh, you want to share or talk about that um, hasn't come up yet? Um, no. Any parting <laughs> words of wisdom? Um, just love what you do. Okay. <laughs> and um and where where can people find you online to get more information about your classes and fiber lab and everything else? Well, thank you for asking. My website is my name, jodycolella.com. And if you look under teaching, you'll find information about everything that I'm doing. And that's J O D I C O L E L L A. You're a good speller too, Mr. Bear. Thank you. I've, I've won a few spelling bees in my time. Well, this has been terrific. Oh, thanks. Thanks for talking with me, Jody. Oh, thank you for inviting me. This has been really fun. And thanks for all your interest. I, I look forward to uh, seeing more of your work. <laughs> thanks, and I look forward to hearing more of your podcast. It's been really wonderful. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Flowers fall like ghosts from stocks Where we from a body stock Reaching through the roots of trees I can feel you through the dream Yeah.
Gabrielle Griffiths with Ghosts from Stocks. I guess it's time for Mazé, and I have a snack size interview for you with our featured musician, Gabrielle Griffiths. Gabrielle Griffiths is also a multimedia artist and writer and works as a librarian, and uh, she was kind enough to answer some questions. One. What is your earliest memory of a smell? My earliest memory of a smell is most likely brown sugar and peanut butter oatmeal with milk. My parents used to make this for me for breakfast, especially when I was ill. 2. If you were a plant, which one would you be and why? If I was a plant, I think I would be a peony, or perhaps a magnolia tree. It's hard to pick just one. 3. What is your songwriting process and creative practice like? What are the creative disciplines you work across, and what are their threads of similarity and difference? My songwriting process usually starts with a guitar melody. Most of the time, I play in non-standard tuning. I string together melodies that I like, then lyrics will emerge. After I record the melody, I add harmonies. In addition to music, I write fiction and paint. Most of what I create starts with some kind of image or idea and grows around feelings or interests. 4. What are your five favorite words associated with dirt? Five favorite words associated with concrete? Five favorite words associated with dreams? My five favorite words associated with dirt are botanical, floral, germination, regeneration, roots. My five favorite words associated with concrete are cracks, fissures, pathway, crumbling, ground. My five favorite words associated with dreams are relief, hope, meaning, rest, unknown. Five. If your current obsessions moved into a dollhouse, what would be in the different rooms? If my current obsessions were in a dollhouse, The rooms would be full of plants, ferns with mossy floors, vines for curtains. There would be nooks in the walls for owls and birds, butterflies and moths, water, fountains, bathtubs, pools and stones, crystals, fossils, candles, trees, and mirrors. Mushrooms would grow beneath the furniture. Flowers. There would be music, wind chimes. Somewhere there would be sage beings with answers for every question and all my loved ones. Something of an inverted house with no worry, just calmness and kindness. Bonus, if you were a stuffed animal, what would you be? If I was a stuffed animal, I would be a Maine Coon, I think, a very shaggy cat. Thanks so much to Gabrielle Griffiths for that tasty little mise. And you can find out more about Gabrielle and her work, her writing, and her music, all of which is beautiful, on her website, GabrielleGriffiths.com. That's G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-E-G-R-I-F-F-I-S.com. And you can buy her music at her Bandcamp, 
gabriellegriffiths.bandcamp.com. Uncaring, brightly colored, unfailing flower, drinking nectar flowing over fields on fire, bees collecting scents for just a moment. Gabrielle Griffiths with Bees. Oh, hey, Mr. Bear. Good to see you again. Oh, hi, Miss Mousy. It's good to see you. Uh, what are you doing there? Are you sewing? Uh, yeah, I was so inspired by um, your interview with Jody Colella. Uh, I thought just because I'm a two-dimensional, hand-drawn mouse studying herbalism, you know, I, I like f- I like fabrics too. And, um, you know, I might be made of paper, but I thought there's so many scraps around this house. Yeah, I know, there's just stuff everywhere. But, you know, all this material, and, um, you know, I thought I could make a, a little little wardrobe for myself, you know? Um, maybe, you know, a little, little scrap fashion. Well, that, that sounds great, Miss Mousy. I know you don't like to wear clothes, Mr. Bear. Um, well, I mean, I'm, I'm not opposed to them. It's just being a bear, I don't really need them. Yeah, I know. Uh, being a mouse, I don't really need them either. But, um, I, I just like the way certain things feel, you know. So, uh, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start a little, uh, scrap fashion line of, uh, uh, clothes for myself, a little wardrobe. Oh, that, that's terrific. Um, what, what else you got cooking? 
Well, actually, Mr. Bear, I've been so inspired um, by your interview and by this magical music you have of Gabrielle Griffiths. Um, it's so dreamy. Uh, that and all the talk about fibers made me think of dream pillows. Dream pillows? Yeah, they're just um, these lovely little pillows stuffed with herbs um, that you put under your pillow or your head at, um, and uh, to help sleep or bring you nice dreams or get rid of nightmares um, or try to remember your dreams, things like that. People work with, with dream pillows for you know all, ki- all kinds of things. I think I, I think I read a long time ago they, they might have called them comfort pillows um, and given them to uh, people in hospitals, maybe like kids, so you know while they were sick and scared, they'd have something nice smelling. Oh, yeah, and I imagine hospitals don't smell too good, so it'd be nice to have something that smells nice. Yeah, and I like to think about, you know, the the stories in cloth and, and the meaning, like if you have a, you know, if you have a favorite blanket or shirt or something like that, you know, it's got, there's just a lot, a lot in it, and then you add herbs in the mix and you have this really beautiful little thing. Oh, that sounds great, Miss Mousy. Um, how 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 do you make a dream pillow? Oh, well, I'm glad you asked, Mister Bear. It's so easy. I mean, on at the very simplest level, you could really just take a little a little bag, or um, you know, like those little muslin tea bags, and just put some herbs in it, and you know, in, instead of making tea with it, you put it under your pillow to smell it. Um, or you can take a little scrap of cloth and put some herbs in it and tie it up with some string so you don't even know have to know how to sew. You can still make your own little dream pillow. Uh, but they're really easy to sew, too. You can, can sew them by hand or paw. Um, so even if you don't have a sewing machine, you know, just some needle and, th- needle and thread. Uh, or on the sewing machine, they're really easy. But, uh, you know, you just... Um, you just want to cut uh, cut a big square of cloth and uh, sew up um, sew up the sides. Leave one side open to stuff your herbs in. So you know if you want to get fancy, um, and you know I don't usually get fancy, but uh, you can you can put the wrong side of the cloth. I mean, there's really no wrong side, but you know what I mean—the side that you don't want to see. You can put that facing out to start while you sew up the sides and you leave one side open and then you turn it inside out and then you have a little finished bag and you stuff your your herbs in there and then you sew the other side closed but you know you don't have to do that turning inside out thing you can just sew around the edges on the outside too um you know it's just a different look whatever you like oh that that sounds uh interesting and, you know, you can um, decorate, you can embroider on it, or, uh, you know, I mean, for, for the cloth, you can use whatever you want. Maybe you have a, an old, uh, old blanket or, or piece of clothing you don't wear anymore, um, or you can, um, you know, I mean, or you can, can buy a pretty patterned fabric if you like, but I really like to reuse things, don't you, Mr. Bear? Oh, I, I sure do, Miss Mousy. Uh, you know, I don't like I don't like to waste things if possible. Yeah, so you know, you just you find some you find a little bit of cloth and and um you know, 
you can decorate it or not. And um, and then the herbs that go inside, I mean, those are kind of up to you too. But I like to put relaxing things in there that smell good and, you know, things that, that people have worked with for sleeping and dreaming for a long time, you know, like many, many years. All like what? Well, um, I'll tell you one of my favorite dream pillow blends um, and you can make it too. Um, I like to put uh, rose, lavender, mugwort, yarrow, and chamomile. I like to mix all those up together and then put those in a dream pillow. Well, that sure does sound dreamy. And you know what else, Mr. Bear? You can make tea with those same herbs. Um, you might want to use a little less lavender in your tea unless unless you really love the taste of it. Because uh, that lavender is very strong. It, it can be overpowering. Um, so that's I like to just put a, a smidge of that in, but then uh, equal parts of the other herbs. And you can make a lovely tea to have at night uh, before you go to sleep with your dream pillow. Well, that sounds wonderful. Yeah, and um, also you could make your dream pillow tea, uh, but then you could make some cocoa too. Uh, how do you make your cocoa, Miss Mousy? Well, I like to get some um, uh, some really nice fair trade organic uh, cacao um, powder and I whisk that into whatever milk I'm using. You can use whatever milk you want. Cow milk, almond milk, nut milk, breast milk. Just kidding. I mean, you could maybe, I guess, but I don't think there's much of a market for that. Um, but anyway, you whisk, you know, whisk your uh, cocoa into your milk, warm it up over the stove, and, and then you can add an equal amount of your dream pillow tea into the cocoa and whisk it up, and it's just delicious. Oh, that, that sounds, I, I want some right now. Uh, it's not even, it's not even bedtime, but I, I want some dream pillow tea and dream pillow cocoa. Yeah, um, I think it's just, you know, it's just really relaxing and lovely. Um, and I haven't tried this, but I have an idea for, uh, dream time honey. Ooh, dream time honey. That's, you know, I like my honey. Yeah, I was thinking, um, you know, if a lot of people have those plants in their yard already, they may be growing wild like yarrow and mugwort, just pop up places, or if people grow roses and chamomile and lavender, if you had all of those fresh and put them in a jar and poured honey over them and just infuse them into the honey for a few weeks and then strain it out, that just sounds like a dreamy honey. I want to try that this summer. Oh, well, I want to try that too, Miss Mousy. Maybe maybe we can have a little dream dream tea party one of these days. Oh, I'd like that, Mr. Bear. Well, I've got some more sewing to do, and you, you've got the show to finish, Mr. Bear. Yeah, I should I should get back and finish the show. But uh, thanks again, Miss Mousy. I'm excited to go make some dream pillows. Well, have fun, Mr. Bear. Thanks for stopping by. See you next time. Bye, Miss Mousy.
Gabrielle Griffiths with Panic Attacks Bloom Like Hellebore. On before we go, I'm going to read you a little uh, piece by Gabrielle Griffiths, our featured musician, who is also a fantastic writer. And this is a micro that was published online at Matchbook at matchbooklitmag.com. Bowerbird. In my grandmother's house, I found ferns, dried and preserved from her wedding bouquet. She saved zinnia seeds and planted them in a seasonal loop. A good person's house decays as if they were never there. We inhabit one home to another like shells. In the living room, I found books about fungi. The pages were full of wine caps and destroying angels. She hung holy basil and fennel from rafters. She painted sunflowers and foxgloves on the walls. In the cabinet were envelopes full of seeds, a camera, binoculars, pens, and empty greeting cards. Her clothing was made of cotton and wool. On the mantel was a lamp, candlesticks, quartz, cormorant feathers. In the bedside table were dream journals. She wrote she was looking at a spider web in a windowsill, a woman in a bathtub. A man stood over her in the darkness, his face full of sorrow. She wandered wetlands and hills, had a basement drawer full of bones, and an orange bottle of alprazolam. Vinegar solvents, baking soda, lemon oil. Mason jars full of rosebuds and lavender. I made spearmint tea in an iron tea kettle and fingered a naturalist portrait of a cephalopod on the piano. The jar of colored pencils was old. The banjo was worn. Sparrows waited on the doorstep for bird seed my grandmother told me to spread. Moss crawled through cracks and brick. I watered her wilting plants, waiting for the funeral home to carry her away. The gas stove turned on, warming candy leaf and hibiscus. A discarded drawing of a deer yellowed with age, red, panic, panic, panic. I opened a book from a cedar shelf full of phases of the moon. Her last breath lingered in the bedroom. A storm glass predicted rain. Men wheeled her through doorways, a metallic whine, a click, a sheet. Fallen leaves, milkweed floss floated in the air. Her dog whimpered as the hearse disappeared from the driveway. Spores, your spores, breathe, breathe. Clementine, do. 
that was Gabrielle Griffiths with Spores. And that's the show. Uh, Thanks so much for joining me on the Violet Hour. I hope you enjoyed. Thanks so much to Jody Colella and to Gabrielle Griffiths. Uh, You can check out more of Jody's work at her website, jodycolella.com. And you can become a part of Fiber Lab at patreon.com slash jodycolella underscore fiberlab. And you can find more of Gabrielle Griffiths' beautiful uh, music and writing at her website, gabriellegriffiths.com. Thanks again. Go look at the sky and imagine the moon up there, even if you can't see it. And make some dream pillows and be kind to each other. Theme song and show music by Sugar Whiskey. Mr. Bear and Miss Mousie believe in radical love and kindness, in mutual aid, and empowering ourselves and our communities. Together we can dismantle the white, racist, colonizing, misogynistic, capitalist, homophobic, transphobic, ableist patriarchy. This podcast was recorded on Potawatomi, Kickapoo, Miami, Sioux, and Peoria land. Text your zip code or city comma state to 907-312-5085 and find out whose land you're living on. Uh, You can also go to land.codeforanchorage.org for more information. There's also a helpful map at native-land.ca. This is just the first step in developing a land acknowledgement. Let's learn our history and honor the land and indigenous peoples, past, present, and future. This podcast was produced in collaboration with the Boston Free Radio Podcast Network, part of bostonfreeradio.com and Somerville Media Center, Somerville's longest-running public access media center that enables a vibrant and diverse community to express its creativity, explain its ideas, share its cultures, and foster the individual right to freedom of speech. Learn more about Somerville Media Center at somervillemedia.org or check out some of the other amazing Boston Free Radio podcasts and radio shows at bostonfreeradio.com. Thanks for listening.